2: While the Knicks were part of a three team deal, they didn't make any major trades before the clock struck 3 p.m. Leon Rose in his front office seems confident in their roster as currently constructed as the Knicks look to make the postseason for the first time in eight years. Hello and welcome to the Put Back with Ian Begley trade deadline recap. We are presented as always by 888 Sport. Bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code. SNY 88. I'm Chris Williamson alongside SNY NBA insider Ian Begley, and we're joined by 18 year NBA scout Michael Vandegaard. And for the second time this week, the franchise CP of Knicks Fan T- TV. We're live on SNY's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages, and you can get involved in the comments section throughout this entire stream. But first, we're going to kick things off with the baseline. And Ian, before we get into specific players and deals that did or didn't happen, the Knicks remained relatively quiet at the trade deadline. Why did they decide to take a conservative approach this week?
3: Well, talking to teams that were in touch with the Knicks as a couple of weeks ago, the, the thinking then was they, they didn't want to interrupt their chemistry, right? They felt that the group – had overperformed expectations, which they had, and they didn't want to do anything big to take away from that. And they felt that they weren't going to overextend themselves to bring a player in here that was going to interrupt things. So that was part of their thinking. And I assume that's what carried the day on Thursday because they didn't give up. They could have given up, you know, Mitchell Robinson, first round pick, whatever, to get Lonzo Ball. They could have given up future assets to get, Different players, Victor Aldebo, they do that. They stood pat. I assume that the idea that they were playing well, they have been playing well, and this group has pretty good chemistry together, played a role in their decision making.
2: So they keep it pretty low key, you know, during this trade deadline. So tell us, though, about the trade that they did make.
3: Right, so they were trying to find a home for Austin Rivers. The Knicks were working with Rivers' representation at CAA to try to make something happen, and so if it didn't happen via trade, it was going to happen via buyout, and I think this was uh, a win-win because you got Austin Rivers – Uh, to Oklahoma City in that three-team deal that sent George Hill to Philly. And then you get two second-round picks. One of them is heavily protected. And you get Terrence Ferguson. And Ferguson's uh, still a young player. You get to take a look at him for a few months, decide if if you want to keep him on. I believe he's a restricted free agent this offseason. And so this was, in my view at least, they're getting something back for Austin Rivers as opposed to just waiving him and uh, getting nothing back.
2: Yeah, it's always good when you can get a return on your investment that you made earlier in the season. And CP, on Tuesday, you've seen into the Knicks pursuing Norman Powell, but he ends up in Portland. How did you feel or how do you feel now that the trade deadline has come and gone?
4: Well, you know what? Not surprised uh, because I, I felt like they were going to be disciplined and, and not really, you know, overextend themselves to make a rush decision. You know, they, they had their targets just like free agency. They had their targets, but they stuck to their game plan. They, I'm sure there was a price they were willing to meet with these trades, and they didn't get Lonzo. They didn't get Norman Powell. But as Ian said, look, we're playing with house money right now. We've already surpassed last year's win total. We've surpassed Vegas' expectations at 22 wins. We're now at 23 and 22, sitting at fifth in the East. And so we're doing a lot with a little right now. And and this is the team that we're going to go forward with into the playoffs or hopefully into the playoffs. So I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not disappointed. I'm just okay with the fact that they didn't mortgage any future capital or draft capital and that they're they're intent on on going to war with what, with what they have. Yeah, that's a blessing,
2: the fact that they didn't rush to make any type of short-term decision that would impact the team in a negative manner, especially with the chemistry route. Michael, what did you make of the Knicks conservative approach, though?
1: You know, I think they're taking a long look um, and using a long lens to f- to f- you know, try to fill out this team. Um, I really think it comes down to star chasing. Um, You know, the cap room that they're going to have this summer, um, you know, I don't know that they're going to be able to land a star in the free agency market, but we all know, and we've seen it time and time again, when a disgruntled star wants to make a move, you know, where's the logical destinations. And, you know, I'm not sure LA can handle another one cap wise, you know, (laughs) Brooklyn can't do anything cap wise. The next logical destination is probably New York and keeping your uh, cap room available and keeping the assets that they have uh, available to star chase, whenever that may be, whether it's six months, a year, two or three years down the road, they just need to have that flexibility to, you know, land that next disgruntled star and hopefully two stars uh, when that time comes with, with uh, the cap room. So I think they didn't make trades for quality players, um, but none of those players are going to be stars and none of those you know, players are going to dramatically change the trajectory of the Knicks, you know, long term.
2: Right. I definitely hear that. And remember to keep your questions coming in the comment section on whatever platform you're watching this on. We'll try to get as many of them as possible. Let's move on to some specifics and see Mamba on Twitter asked about Andre Drummond. Ian, and the Cavaliers are working out a buyout for Senator Drummond, who would fit into the Knicks financially wise. Could he still end up in NYC?
3: Yeah, you listen. I said it a couple of days ago. I'll say it again. I know there are a couple prominent voices in that Nick organization that see Drummond as a good fit, see him as a player that they should bring on. But I know, I know, as, as of excuse me, as of earlier this week at least, there was no consensus on Drummond. There were some people who felt that he would not be a good fit, that this is not the right move. So I think that will continue to be debated. Uh, internally in New York. And they obviously have a financial advantage, right? Because they have that, that cap space. I think it's around $15 million. So they can offer Drummond a four-year, $64 million deal, I believe. And the other teams who are interested in him certainly can't match that, can't come close to it. So I think the Knicks are going to at least talk to Drummond. I think that internal debate is going to continue. And Drummond's also going to decide whether he wants to go chase a ring, uh, make an impact in the playoffs heading into free agency, or secure himself financially by coming to
2: New York. And CP, it's interesting because Andre Drummond is one of the best rebounders in the NBA, but he still hasn't been able to find a home. Uh, and he's a very polarizing figure on Knicks Twitter. How do you feel about Drummond with the Knicks?
4: Very polarizing figure, as you said. Right now, if you know, it, once he gets bought out by the Cavs, since you don't have to trade for him in the short term, I wouldn't necessarily mind it. My thing is if, is, if he's considering the Knicks over some more established contenders, maybe there's a promise there of a long-term deal, and that's what I'm concerned with. You know, the Athletic wrote a piece uh, that stated, you know, Brock Aller's affinity for Andre Drummond and Brock Aller being an integral piece to bringing Drummond to Cleveland. So could that still be there, you know, Brock Aller's intentions of bringing him here? I just don't know how he's going to impact the chemistry. You know, he's a guy who doesn't finish well at the rim, 52% at the rim, 59% from the free throw line. I like to create some more spacing for R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. You saw R.J. out there last night as the floor was spaced. He was wheeling and dealing and, and you know, getting his shots off into the paint late in that fourth quarter in the win against the Wizards. I just like giving those guys a bit more room. We don't know about Drummond as far as a locker room presence. Could he shake up the chemistry there? You know, he's he was on the outs with Cleveland because he didn't want to, you know, accept a limited role with them. So how would he come in here and, and uh, impact the Knicks? So on the short term, of course, you wouldn't mind having the guy as a double-double machine bringing him in. But long term – I just don't think the, the league is, is catering towards his style of play anymore. And I just like to keep things flexible. I like the way that Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel are flexible on the defensive end. I also like the fact that the Knicks can go with Julius in a small ball five position to give us some more offense. So I would rather go that way. But in the short term, I wouldn't necessarily mind it.
2: Right. And so, Michael, how would you evaluate Drummond's his fit with the Knicks current roster currently constructed?
1: You know, I think his fit. I think he fits well. I think he's a better, I think he's an upgrade over Nerlens Noel. Um, you know, how much of an upgrade, you know, people can debate that. Um, the 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 question I have is how much does that stunt Mitchell Robinson? You know, he's a young guy that they're invested in and they have a hot, you know, high hopes for. Um, with him being out for the last, you know, 6 weeks with his injury and just coming back, you know, we need to see how good Mitchell Robinson is going to be. I see Mitchell Robinson as a long-term fit, um, you know, when the Knicks have a chance to chase a championship. Uh, You know, this year they're chasing the playoffs, which is great, you know, much improved from last year, but they're not chasing a championship. And to me, like I said before, you got to look at the long lens. You know, is is Andre Drummond the guy that you want to have eat some cap space two to three years from now? when you have championship aspirations and you're building that team and trying to find those superstars versus, you know, the short-term fix and maybe he's an he's a upgrade over New Noel.
3: Mike, right. I got have a next, next, next question for you because I spoke to a team, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying that they didn't think that it would help Julius Randle, right? It would take away from the space that he operates in. Um, they, they thought it would hamper him. If you bring in Andre Drummond, I just wanted to get your thoughts there because it was just one team, and and obviously um, everybody has opinions. What are your thoughts on how Drummond would impact, could impact Julius Randle?
1: I think it depends upon the mindset he comes in with. You know, if he gets a longer-term deal with the Knicks, you know, he doesn't have to prove himself as a scorer and a playmaker and a post-up guy. You know, if he comes in just as a, you know, a hired hand for a couple months and he's got to find his next deal, you know, he's going to want his touches in the post, and that definitely – you know, clogs up the lane for Julius Randle. But when Andre Drummond is at his best, you know, he's a rim runner, he's a, you know, lob catcher dunker, and he's a defensive player. And, and obviously he's a great rebounder. So, you know, if, if he's going to play his role and have his role set and he's not going to come in wanting those touches, I think he fits great. You know, if he's trying to find that next opportunity for his next contract, it might not work out as well as you want.
3: You brought up another good point, Mitchell Robinson, because – I, I, just the way I see it, outside looking in, you bring in Andre Drummond and you sign him to a multi-year deal, you're trading Mitchell Robinson. Am I wrong? I mean, is there a way for those two to coexist on the same roster if you're going to have to extend Robinson eventually and pay him significant money?
1: Yeah, you know, if you, if you probably extend Drummond now, I think you actually get him at a pretty good value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you could have both those guys around, and then at some point you either trade Drummond or Robinson. You know, it definitely, like we said, will stunt Mitchell Robinson's growth. And, and I think that's a more important question. Is Mitchell Robinson part of the future in three years? Or is Andre Drummond going to help us win a playoff series in the next two or three years? You know, and, I, and I, that's a trade-off the You know, the hierarchy of the Knicks have to decide what they want to do. You know, the, the New York Knicks are in the luxury of selling out every game and everybody, you know, in town has interest in them and talking about them. But are you really chasing a championship? Do you want to figure out how good Mitchell Robinson is and chase stars? Or do we just want to make the playoffs and get a little bit better and, and feel good about ourselves because we haven't been good for 20 years?
2: Yeah, and I think the Knicks want to win that championship. They don't want to just make the playoffs. I mean, that's great for this year. But looking long term, it's obviously got to be at the top, the creme de la creme. And we'll get to Mitchell Robinson in a bit. But how would you feel if the Knicks signed Andre Drummond? Would you love it? hate it, or be left confused. Go to snytv slash vote now for this week's fan choice presented by 888 sport, bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY 880. And Ian Lonzo ball is still a Pelican, but you reported in the aftermath of the trade deadline that ball could still end up in New York. Please enlighten us about that.
3: Right. So I was just speaking with somebody who, Had a pretty good knowledge of the talks between the Knicks and the Pelicans and Ball and the whole dynamic, and they were saying that they expected uh, this to be an offseason thing again, where the Knicks would have interest in Ball and would, you know, pursue him. And obviously, Ball is going to be a restricted free agent. Uh, The Knicks, with their cap space, could make a pretty strong offer. There's scenarios also where maybe New Orleans would want to pursue a sign and trade again, although. If Ball gets restricted free agency, I don't see why the Knicks would be volunteering to give up assets. Uh, but the thing that confused me a little bit is, you know, there were so many reports about Ball not being a part of New Orleans' future and New Orleans being ready to trade him. So either they didn't meet the pr- get the price that they wanted, and I don't think the Knicks were ready to reach any high price for Ball because he's going to be around this offseason – or did they change their thinking, and now do they want to re-sign him this offseason? I don't think they do. I think it's still going to be Lonzo on a different team uh, come the offseason. But it just confused me the way that the Pelicans handled that that at the deadline.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting uh, decisions being made by front offices all around the league, not just the Pelicans and CP. Under what circumstances would you like to see Lonzo Ball in a Knicks uniform?
4: Well, this is why I didn't mind you know, them not getting him or making any rough decisions yes, during yesterday's trade deadline because now you have options. Maybe you can just sign him into the cap space without giving up assets. Maybe you do a sign-in and trade and it costs you a little bit less. Or, you know, there were Malcolm Brogdon rumors going out there. Maybe you go after him. So, so you have options there. But the the benefit of obtaining Lonzo Ball is I think he increases the, the overall offensive flow of the team. He picks up the pace. They, they'll Im- improve in fast break fast-break points. from the corner three, he'll be a better outlet than Alfred Payton is for RJ and Julius Randle to space the floor for them. We also talked about Mitchell Robinson, you know, having a capable point guard that can get guys like Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin going in terms of the pick and roll, getting the Gotham lob going, that increases the overall value of your assets when you're talking about looking to acquire players down the road. So I would definitely look into uh, pursuing Lonzo in the offseason for sure.
2: And Michael, when you've watched, evaluated Lazo's games from the time that he's stepped into the NBA with the Lakers, now with the Pelicans, what improvements has he made over the course of his NBA career so far?
1: You know, he's he's an amazing, amazing transformation from what he was to what he is now. His shooting stroke has changed, um, his release has changed, and. His three point percentage has gone way up, his free throw percentage has gone way up, and, and and I'm actually pretty amazed at his transformation. There's very few guys that have been able to do what he's done, and it's gotten better year after year after year. His first year as a rookie, in effective field goal percentage, he was one of the ten or fifteen worst players in the league. Now he's one of the top sixty-five players in the league. And he's still young, he's still growing, he's just getting into his prime. And I think I think as he matures a little bit more, he's even going to become a better player. But everything comes down to his shooting. You know, he's a good defender. He's got size and length. He's obviously a great passer. If he can shoot the ball like he has been and, and continue this trajectory of shooting it better and better, man, he's he's got a chance to be an all-star player. And I think he fits exactly what the Knicks are looking for. And Mike, and I might be- have
3: a follow-up there on Lonzo, because I do know that Lonzo is not the only a point guard target that they have on their radar for the offseason so it's not like they're all in Alonzo I think they have other options in mind and the, the question internally that was being asked was is Alonzo the point guard of the future for us and as you could imagine Mike because you you've had these discussions internally uh, there was it wasn't like everybody was in favor of it so it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it this offseason but do you think that the shooting is sustainable? Is he, you know, can that be sustainable for him?
1: I do, I do. With his change of release and his change of his motion, um, it's dramatically improved. And that was the biggest thing coming out of college that everybody had a question about: Is he going to be able to make shots over players, and is he going to be able to make shots from the three-point line? And it's dramatically improved. This isn't a one-year blip, from what I see from the stats. Um, it's gotten progressively better year in and year out, and his form's gotten better year in and year out. And he's still, like I said, a young player, um, and I think he's at least going to be a league average shooter, if not higher. And and he's demonstrated that this year by being, you know, top 65 in effective field goal percentage, which two years ago you would have never believed. You would have never believed it.
2: Definitely not, and you can see that his confidence just keeps getting higher and higher as the season goes on. And keep sending in those questions about the Knicks and for more on Leon Rose's post draft plans. Be sure to check out TV for the latest from Ian. And Ian, the Magic made a ton of deals yesterday, including sending Evan Fournier to the Celtics. Tom Grippa on Facebook asked, we couldn't give up two number twos for Fournier? Well,
3: they did have a conversation with Orlando about Fournier, and I know that took place, I think, the week prior to the deadline. I don't know if they talked after that. I don't know how serious it got. But I think there were ideas exchanged. And ultimately at that point, I, I know that there was some concern about finding a role for Fournier and, and fitting him into that to the rotation and where he would fit and who who would be benched and things like that. So I think that's part of what held up the deal going through at that point. Again, this was you know, a week or so before the deadline. You know, whether they circled back, I'm not sure. I haven't heard. Uh, with regard to, you know, giving up those two seconds for Fournier, maybe part of the thinking I'm just guessing here is they saw Fournier just as a rental and they didn't see him as somebody that they would maybe resign in the summer. So maybe they thought that price was too high. Two seconds to me is, is not a high price. So um I'm, I'd be curious to know the thinking on that leading into 3 p.m.
0: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Yesterday and why they decided not to go that route.
2: And CP, going off of that fact, you seemed a little frustrated by the fact that Boston only gave up two second rounders to get Fournier. Would you have done that deal if you were Leon Rose?
4: I would have taken a chance on it. You know, my frustration was more that uh, it was so cheap. You know, two twos, as Ian said, I would have done it in a heartbeat. But I can understand the, the organization being hesitant to bring him in as a rental and where he would fit in the rotation. I mean, if you look at some of the wings that we have right now, you look at Reggie Bullock. He's Thibodeau's, you know, defensive wild card. You know, Tibbs loves him. I think his slot in the rotation is solidified. IQ coming off the bench, being that instant offense as well. But Alec Burks, you know, Alec Burks has been on a tear, especially these past five games, averaging over 20 points a game. I think he's a better playmaker than Fournier, and he showed that, you know, these last five games. He's been crucial. He's been vital in the the Knicks' win. So his role in the rotation was certainly questionable. I think it was just me just being surprised at, you know, how cheap it was for, for the Celtics to obtain them. You know, Orlando started the tank up, man. There they was a fire sale going on on Disney. They the headline, the trade deadline, and, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see.
2: Yeah, they got rid of everybody, I feel like. Yeah. And once again, you're watching a special live edition of the Putback with Ian Begley. We're back to our normal schedule next week. We drop every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on SNY.tv, always with great guests, the latest news with Knicks and around the NBA, and, and of course, plenty of fun. And let's talk about the NBA draft right now, Michael. Uh, The Knicks have two first-round picks, one of their own, one from Dallas and the Christophs Porzingis trade. Give us an overall sense how strong this draft class can be.
1: You know, this is one of the better draft classes we've seen in a long time, and and I know people say that a lot. um, But I think the top five or six guys all have chances to be, you know, special players uh, in this league. And where the Knicks are going to be picking and you know, the 15 to 20 range is going to have probably two picks. There's definitely going to be some players, um, especially some guys that can shoot the ball. Hopefully maybe they can find, you know, a point guard if that's what they're looking for, or they can find some wings that can really shoot the ball, because I think that's what the Knicks need long term.
2: And Ian Mars Jetson on the YouTube chat is asking, do you see the Knicks consolidating picks in this 2021 draft to move up?
3: I think if they trade picks, it's going to be for a player. That would be my best guess. Uh, obviously, you can't rule anything out. Uh, if they fall in love with somebody at the top, maybe they go that route. But I, I get the sense that if they're going to use those picks not to pick players at the spot, the more likely route is is making a trade for uh, you know, a disgruntled player, a young player who might become available. But I know that uh, it was just with the draft, CP and his guys on Knicks Fan TV are going to be talking about it endlessly uh, in the weeks leading up to that thing. So I'm looking forward to that. And CP, you and Kellerman, man. I mean, I'm not trying to talk sports media here, but I feel like, like Mike and the Mad Dog, we, we don't have that duo anymore. Maybe you guys can slide in there, be the next Mike and the Mad Dog. There's a lot going on there.
4: Yeah, maybe. You know, it, it's called Knicks therapy. I'm I'm slowly bringing <laughs> Kellerman back into the fold. He sold out to, to Mickey Mouse and those guys, you know, threw the Knicks under the bus. But I'm slowly bringing him back into the fold. It, it's been a great experience so far. <laughs>
2: Uh, we love it, man. It's great TV to see uh, you go toe-to-toe with Max Kellerman and, and shut him down on a lot of things. And Ian, uh, Camille Khan on YouTube, questions how much the Knicks value Mitchell Robinson if they're looking at a guy like Andre Drummond. Uh, you reported yesterday that the teams were reaching out to the Knicks about acquiring Mitchell Robinson. So given that question, uh, what does his future look like in the Big Apple?
3: So I think they're – you know, they were – they were talking about maybe offering an extension this past off season. I think that was predicated on the idea, like if they had signed Gordon Hayward, let's say, and used up a bunch of their cap space, then they say, all right, let's lock Mitchell in you know, for the next few years, too. Obviously, that, that didn't happen in free agency. So now, you know, they still have this opportunity to extend him. And my, my guess is it's it's still a wait and see thing. I think it's a new regime. They're evaluating everything, including everything that they see from Mitchell Robinson. And certainly, Tom Thibodeau has been so optimistic about Robinson, talking all year about how much talent he has, especially on the defensive end. But I, I think that still, you're going to see more evaluation here between the Knicks and Robinson over the rest of the season, uh, before, because they, they don't have to make a decision, but before they make a decision on whether to extend him this summer or not.
2: What have you seen, Michael from Mitchell Robinson's game this season. I know he got injured, so that you know kind of stunted some of his growth. But what have you uh, liked or disliked from his season so far?
1: Yes. Um, obviously, we all know he's a defensive presence around the rim. Um, his athleticism, uh, and able to guard multiple positions, and able to step out and guard a little bit of the pick and roll with his length and his speed, um, you know, is, is impressive. But he's a young kid. And and to be honest, he hasn't dramatically improved since he's gotten to the NBA. His this is his third year, um, and his stats and his impact on the game is kind of the same as it was his first year. So like like we said before, it's kind of a wait and see. You know, he's got a couple months here to show, and I don't think the Knicks need to make any decisions on him. You know, you're going to hold his rights through his through his rookie you know contract, and and like I said, I think you're star chasing. And if you lock up a guy with extra money, you know, you don't have that money then to, to find those stars or bring in those two guys when they get disgruntled. So I think the longer you can hold off, you know, on his contract and giving him his money, the better off you're going to be, you know, salary cap-wise for the future. But, but his game, you know, is still up in the air. No, no one knows where it's going to go. And, and he's, he's got to become better at, you know, everything he does. And I don't know that he'll ever be an offensive player. You know, but there's a lot of guys in the league that are super important and, and great players that are offensive players. So he's got to maximize what he is, and, and he's got to get better every day.
2: So you're still not sure if he'll be a long-term piece, a core of this Knicks team uh, currently constructed?
1: You know, I think he can be a quality starter. You know, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I don't think he's going to be an all-star. Um, I think he's going to be a quality starter. He's going to be a defensive anchor around the rim. He's going to catch and dunk. He's going to score a little bit around the basket. I know his shooting percentage is off the charts, but that's mostly because he's, you know, dunking it all the time. Um, You know, and and that's what he is. And you're not going to make him into, you know, an 18-point-per-game, 20-point-per-game face-up guy. I just don't think that's that's his game, and that's not what he's going to be best at. So I think the future is still a question mark with him. But I think a lot of the players on the Knicks are question marks. Besides Julius Randle, it's all a question mark. Even R.J. Barrett. I think R.J. Barrett's still a question mark. You know, he's played well this year. He's played really well the last couple months, but it needs to be sustained. I think we all remember Jeremy Lin having the greatest six weeks of any NBA player on the planet. You know, we need to see this transformation of R.J. Barrett continue into another year or two. And, and if I see it in another year, then I'm then I'm a believer. And I'm excited about his future. I'm just not sure, you know, a two-month stretch means we know what he's going to be yet. And he's had a much better two-month stretch than Mitchell Robinson. So I'm much more comfortable with him than Mitchell Robinson at this point. Right, he one one
3: general ahead. follow-up question, if I can, on Mitchell. Just in a general sense, today's NBA, how important is it to have a five who who can shoot, who can space the floor as opposed to, you know, we haven't seen Mitchell shoot from the perimeter yet. How important is it to have your five at least be a threat from out there? Do you need it? Do you not need it?
1: I don't think you need it, um, but the game keeps trending further and further that direction. We've been talking about it for years, you know, in the basketball world. We always talked about the stretch four. I think it's going to become the stretch five. I think in three, four, five years, it's now going to become the stretch five. And I think that's going to be a big, you know, thing in the game. And, and I'll tell you what, Mitchell has more um, better mechanics than most kids that are the freak athletes at his age that are just defensive players. So he actually has a chance to become, you know, a little bit of a threat or, you know, somebody that you at least have to guard at 18, 20 feet in the three-point line down the road. Um, but that, that's not something I would expect out of him. That would just be a major bonus if he ends up being able to do that.
2: And we'll get to uh, R.J. Barrett in a bit. But, C.P., the, the brains behind Knicks Fan TV, how do you value Mitchell Robinson and his future with the Knicks?
4: Man, Mitch is my guy, as you guys know. You know, he's been a pleasant surprise. But as Mike said, you just don't know. He's still raw, you know, as a prospect. And uh, it would behoove them to wait it out, wait it out until the last minute and gauge where his market value is. But part of the issue is if you're talking about bringing in Drummond, you're going to stymie his development. You know, if you don't have a proper point guard or or effective point guard play, you're also not going to get the most out of him. So you just don't know where his market value is. As Mike said, they're going to be going star hunting. I think it's going to be Bradley Beal. I think I think Bradley Beal is going to be the guy that they're going to target, whether it's the summer next trade deadline or, or the summer after that. He's going to be in their sights. And Mitch could be a guy, you know, the Wizards or one of these teams, they're going to want, you know, young upstart talent in in addition to draft picks. So Mitch could be one of those guys that, that could be dealt uh, for a guy like Bradley Beal. So I'm just not sure how much you want to invest in that front court with Julius looking like he's going to be a candidate to get – close to max dollars and and come back with the Knicks. Do you put that money in a Drummond for a four-year 64 or in a Mitch for a four-year 64 when the team is not complete and the team is not done being built? I'd rather invest that money in the perimeter and uh, make that investment there.
2: And Bradley Beal, man, imagine him in the garden, the way he can shoot, Yeah, that would be crazy. Ian, is that something on the Knicks' horizon potentially or just throwing it out there?
3: Yeah, but the Beal stuff, at least my read on it, just in talking to people a couple months ago, was that if the Knicks were going to trade for Beal, they would have to really gut their roster. And then for Beal, you know, he's made it clear he wants to win. And if he leaves Washington, he'd be searching for a place where he could win. So would he be excited about coming to New York if the roster is barren again? That's, that would be my big question there. And I don't know that he would be. So, I think, I think the Knicks are kind of aware of that dynamic too. So until they kind of put more in place and until they are in a position where whatever they have to give up in a Beal trade, they still have a solid roster in place for Beal coming here. Um, I, I don't see it as a strong possibility until they get to that place. All
2: right. And Ian, CP touched on, you know, the game that R.J. Barrett had uh, last night against the Wizards. Uh, incredible performance in the comeback win. 24 points, nine of them coming in the fourth quarter. What have been your biggest takeaways from R.J. Barrett in this season?
3: To me, it's, it's kind of just more of what you saw from him as a rookie, not necessarily on the court, but the intangibles because he, you can see that he just comes to work every day and he gives it his all-everyday practice, court, game, whatever. He is a diligent worker, and that's what the Knicks talked about last year with him, why they were optimistic about him because of his approach to his craft. You've seen it pay dividends now this year with the improved finishing at the rim, the improved perimeter shooting, uh, the improved reads at the rim. So, you know, it's it's that. It's really just the work continuing for him and, and starting to see the benefits of that work. And I really think that, you know, he's got this mentality where, he wants to win, and he doesn't care, you know, if he gets numbers doing it. He just wants to win. And that is so valuable, I think, in the NBA, especially for a young player um, who just has that, that laser focus on just trying to get better and trying to help your team win games. That's what I see from him, and that to me is what's most impressive here outside of the jumps in the shooting percentages and his, you know, second half last night. It's just that to me.
2: And, Michael, where do you see RJ Sealing Right now, and how can he even get better? Because clearly, you're not as good or as high on as other. Well,
0: I'm
1: talking about Barrett. I mean, to me, Randall and Barrett are the future of the franchise. You can sprinkle in a little Mitchell Robinson or Quickly or Toppin, and and see some exciting flashes here and there. But RJ Barrett and, and Randall is the future and, and they gotta maximize their talent. And I think Randall is doing that. And I think Barrett is on his way to doing that. You just need to see it for a longer period of time. Um, you know, he's done it, he's improved, his shooting percentage has improved, everything about his game has improved, but you know, he's still young. Uh there's guys that have that have been really good for a year or two and then plateau. So he's got to do it every day, come into work every day. And those two guys are the future. And going back to, you know, the Bradley Beal talk, you know, they need to find one more guy. And if they get one more guy with Julius Randle, then then you can start talking to Bradley Beal. And then you can extend Barrett. And then you got three, four horses where you can go make a legitimate run, um, you know, for a championship. And call yourself, you know, one of the seven or eight best teams. And we actually have a chance this year.
2: Yeah, that would be great for Knicks fans to to see that come to fruition. And ENC Mamba on YouTube uh, wants to ask you about Kevin Knox and Frank Nilekina. Did they come up at all in the trade deadline?
3: You know, talking to other teams, I got the sense that they were available, which shouldn't be a surprise at all because for the right deal, if the Knicks liked a player in a trade and the cost was Nilakina and Knox or one or the other, it shouldn't surprise you that they would have done the deal. Um, but obviously nothing nothing reached that level um uh, of deal making so they're here and I think that what you see from Neil Aquina I think Thibodeau likes i mean he sees something there i've mentioned that a couple times like he feels like there's a player there you know if he's in the right situation um Knox I'm not as clear on on how he's felt about him, but he was certainly complimentary of the minutes that that Knox gave them last night in that win uh but you see him out of the rotation so uh, you're not sure what to make of it. But I, I would just think in general that those two would be available in any trade that the Knicks felt was, was a solid deal. I don't think there any of them would be off limits in any deal. Um, so I think that's kind of status quo there.
2: And one quick next question before we finish things up with the Knicks, Ian. Uh, Gabe Granite, I'm joining in late. Is there any news on who's trying to come to Brooklyn, and are there any new wave players?
3: So I don't think anybody new has been waived yet. I think the Drummond wave is still being worked through. Aldrich is done. Uh, I would expect Otto Porter to be waived and to be available. Uh, maybe uh, Gorgie Gang in Memphis becomes available via wave. Mo Harkless possibly. So those, uh, there might be others, but those are the names that I feel will be in the marketplace. And I'm sure, I mean, Drummond, I think all along, everybody assumed he was going to consider Brooklyn. But maybe the idea that they can't give him a a big role there, maybe that turns him off. I I don't know. But I think Brooklyn will get consideration with all these players because of where they are. They have the roster spots. They're ready to make a title run. So uh, if you're bought out, why wouldn't you want to at least kick the tires on a Brooklyn situation?
2: Right, definitely. And one last question for all of you guys. We'll start with CP. What are your expectations, CP, for the Knicks coming down the stretch here?
4: Biggest question mark is Derek Rose and his impact on this team. You know, when he came in, he immediately lifted the bench. When he started for Alfred Payton, he immediately lifted the offense in terms of chemistry with Julius and RJ. I think him getting back up to speed, getting his conditioning up is really pivotal for this team making this playoff push. And I want to see how Tibbs is going to use him. Is he going to close with him? Does he start? I, I really feel like we need Rose's playmaking potential. Instead of Peyton's, it's just a matter of how much minutes can he lock. Secondly, how much contribution are you going to continue to get from Alec Burks and Emmanuel quickly? The bench production is going to be key. Uh, they're, in, they're in the midst of a dogfight right now. Right now, they're in fit. By Saturday, they could be back to 7th or 8th. So it's going to keep fluctuating as they continue. But I think Rose's health and then the bench production between Burks and IQ are, are going to be pivotal.
2: Yeah, Rose's health is so significant. You saw the way that he changed how this offense flowed when he came in from Detroit. Michael, what are your expectations for the Knicks down the stretch?
1: You know, I, for me, it's a question mark. It's a question mark. Like you said, we're a couple games away from being, you know, seventh, eighth, or ninth. And, you know, can can they finish what they've started? Um, it's been a great start to the season. It's exciting in the fifth spot. Can they fight their way and stay in the four, five, six spot? And can they win a playoff series? You know, I, I don't think that's out of the question with how hard they play. You know, in the NBA, you can win on any given night and, and with how hard they play and the way Julius Randle's been playing, you know, I would expect them to obviously to make the playoffs. I would expect them to give a first round, you know, matchup where, where they win a few games and, and maybe things go well, uh, and they could win a playoff series, but they, they got to maintain the status quo.
2: Ian, what about you? What are your expectations for them down the stretch?
3: Well, I think CP hit on the elements there that I think are are critical with Derrick Rose and then production off the bench and and health obviously plays a role in everything. But I think, you know, if all things remain the same, Rose comes back at some point soon and he comes back as himself, they should at least get into that playing tournament, right? I think that's that's a reasonable expectation based on what we've seen from the group so far. And if they get in that playing tournament, I mean, the way Tom Thibodeau, Coaches and prepares in the way his staff prepares. I think they would have a pretty good shot at a, you know single game tournament winning two games, winning one game to get in. And so I, I like their chances there. So I think they they should get into the playoffs again, assuming Rose comes back and assuming you get you continue to have production off the bench from guys like Burks.
2: And Knicks fans are just salivating for the Knicks to finally get back into the playoffs so they can have something to cheer about. And hopefully, more fans will be able to go to the garden when the playoffs do happen. But that's going to wrap up the putback with Ian Begley. Trade deadline recap. Our thanks to Michael Vandegard for his perspective, as well as CP. As always, be sure to give Knicks Fan TV a follow because it's great content. Always pumping out. Fun stuff, informative things. We'll be back Wednesday, people, at 4 for our normal show on SNY.tv. For Ian Begley,